Hello and welcome to Superfancast. My name is Chris and this is Season 3, Episode 5. This week we will mostly be getting whiny, grimy and of course swifty. Christmas has been and gone, so congratulations if you managed to go the whole season without getting whammed. I pretty much succeeded in that. There are a few of the classics I don't actually mind, like... What do I not mind? Like Chris Rears, Driving Home for Christmas, and of course, Pogues. It's, uh, that doesn't need, need to be said, that one. Fairy Tale of New York. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really listen to the usuals this year. We did have background music playing over the last few days, over, over Christmas, but mostly jazz instrumentals of, of those classics, which I really liked. It worked. But this year, like all years, did bring with it a smorgasbord of Christmas albums from every corner of the music world, like it does every year. It's, it's an absolute mess. What I've done is, uh, because I like to whinge about it, put together a, a list of a few. I'm not going to go into all of these, but I'll put, put, put together a list of a few of the worst albums to come out this year, Christmas albums to come out this year, so that uh, hopefully a few of you can get wound up by it as, as well as me. So let's get straight into it. Um, let's start with well, we'll go we'll go best to worst then because this one's not too bad. But Louis Armstrong uh, release well, he didn't release it, did he? But Louis Armstrong and Louis wishes you a cool Yule is the name of the album. And you know, although this record is full of tracks that yeah, they're all great songs, Louis died like fifty years ago. And I don't. He obviously didn't have a say in the release of this album. None of it's new material. It's just a compilation, and it's just uh, like like for me, you have there has to be value in a record, and oh, for everyone, I guess actually, that's a bit of a dumb thing to say. I guess it has to be value in a record for everyone. But records like this are just so blatant that they're they're just looking for the money. There's no, there's absolutely no need for it. There's no need for it. And yeah, okay, so it's they're all. Christmassy tunes or wintry tunes that are on other records by him and they've just been gathered together in one place but it's 2022 you can just make a playlist bro you don't need this you don't need to release this they're just trying to jump on the the, the Christmas bandwagon and make a bit of cash I hope it's I hope it's a, a record label decision and it's not like the estate of Louis Armstrong that's that's trying to cash in on him but yeah. Anyway, that's that's that one. It's the best of a bad bunch, but uh, I thought I'd mention it because every single year there's someone like this. Every single year there's somebody who died like half a century ago, and a label releases something by them for Christmas and, and packages it up as uh, as a Christmas album. It's disgusting, horrible. So let's move on. So next on the list, let's. Okay, so this 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 next one is super bizarre. And if anyone knows anything about it, then I, I beg you to, to write in, uh, get in touch, go fill out the form on uh, superfannews.net and let me know a bit more information about it because I can't get my head around it. So this next one is Santa Jazzy Christmas by Lou Pearlman. Now, there could be more than one Lou Pearlman in the world, but assuming that there's not, let's assume that this is the Lou Pearlman that, that I know. And Lou Pearlman was... Is no longer with us now, but but was famous for a few different things. But the one that sticks in my mind is the fact that he was the creator of and manager of Backstreet Boys and and also NSYNC as well. And I think a bunch of other boy bands and, and pop acts. 
but I think he was most famous for for Backstreet Boys. And uh, and during that relationship and and after that relationship, he was there was also a lot of controversy around him. There was even during the Backstreet Boys years, I think he managed them quite poorly. He kept all their money. They didn't make a lot of cash from from their deal with with Lou. Uh, there's also speculation. Uh, it's not by me. Just you know, there's stuff on the internet about him grooming them, and he just wasn't a particularly nice guy. After many years in the music industry, he was then convicted of running one of the largest Ponzi schemes in US history. <laughs> and he eventually he went down for that. And I don't know how many years he was incarcerated for before he went and died in 2016. He died. So why is there a Christmas album out this year by Lou Pearlman? Now, I've not listened to the whole record, but I did listen to about the first three or four tracks because I was trying to understand what was going on here. These are all jazzy instrumentals. I don't know if the whole album is is jazzy instrumentals, but what is it? Like, are these tracks recorded by Lou, or uh, are, they, are these tracks that he? Because uh, it's not in many places. I, I found it on it's on Spotify and it's on Amazon Music, but other than those two, I can't really find much information about it online. Very, it's very weird. It's very weird. The guy's the guy's dead. The guy um, uh, died with an incredibly poor reputation, and. Uh, I don't understand where these Christmas songs have come from and what label has decided it's a good idea to release them <laughs> as, uh, in 2022 as Santa Jazzy Christmas. There you go. There you go. Lou Pearlman, Santa Jazzy Christmas. We also had this year uh, Blue Christmas by Jimmy Barnes. Very unexpected. For me anyway, very unexpected. Barnesy, for those of you in the US who might be unfamiliar, I think in the US, and in the UK actually, I don't think he was that is or was that big here in the UK either. Uh, he was the frontman to the Australian rock giants, Cold Chisel. Cold Chisel were massive down under, and, and st- well, st- still are. I mean, people still love their music now. Um, and Jimmy Barnes uh, also had a massive solo career, probably a bigger solo career than 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 Cold Chisel had uh, as a band. Um, I think he's got over like 20 solo records and I don't think in that time there's ever been a hint that he has a festive side to him. It's just a bit of an odd one, like, you know, as a, a rock front man to just come out with Christmas out. Oh, I don't know. It all, again, cynical me, just having a whinge. It just feels when a rock front man comes out with a, an album full of Christmas covers, co- covers of decent Christmas songs. It just feels like they're grabbing for the money. He did, I don't think he needs the money. It's oh yes, oh I did read something. So yeah, he he I read that he made the album as a gift to his kids. But then oh mate, just just record it and really give it. You don't need to release it to the world. Just record it and give it to them as a present. I don't understand why you then put it out. It's it's not necessary. Anyway, that's that's enough whinging about Jimmy Barnes. So last one here. I've got a really good one here. Well, good bad. You decide. A Philly special Christmas from Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey, and Jordan Mailata. A Philly special Christmas. So I don't think, unless you know those names, our US listeners will probably know those names, but outside of the US, they are all uh, offensive linemen from the Philadelphia Eagles. <sighs> so look, jo- Jordan Mailata can sing, uh, and he's done some singing. 
uh, there's quite there's quite a bit of him online actually. He's got a great voice. He was also on The Masked Singer, the Australian version of The Masked Singer, I think. But yeah, come on, a Philly special Christmas. Three NFL players covering Christmas songs. It's just not necessary, is it? And and also, I I don't, I don't know anything about Lane Johnson and, and Jason Kelsey if they've done anything else musically, but like maybe Jordan, I don't think Jordan Mylata has got a record out. Maybe do that first rather than release this novelty record by three NFL players. It's just, uh, I'm done. So let's move on swiftly. What else have I been listening to this week? Well, it's been Christmas and I think we all just want to get into the main feature. So I'm just going to make one quick mention because it was something that really surprised me, and I think it's worth mentioning. I've been listening to some other stuff. You know, This week I've been listening to a band called Orcs, and I've been listening to uh, Mastodon. But what I really just want to mention is I was listening to Rick Rubin's podcast, uh, Broken Record. I mean, it's not just Rick Rubin. It's Malcolm Gladwell, Rick Rubin, and, and some other people. It's a fantastic podcast. I think I've mentioned it before. Uh, if you're not subscribed to that, you should be, because there's some awesome interviews on there obviously it's it's Malcolm Gladwell and, and Rick Rubin so they get amazing names on there and the interviews done by by Rick Rubin are just amazing because often the people he's interviewing are, are, are as excited to be interviewed by him as he is to be interviewing them and so they kind of spin a few questions around and ask him and you learn a lot about about Rick as well as about the about the other artist anyway there was an episode a few weeks back uh with Stormzy and Stormzy is an artist that I've managed to avoid for years, really. And the reason I've avoided him is because I kind of avoided a lot of British grime and uh, hip hop and, and, you know, where hip hop, British hip hop have gone and, and grime because I was kind of like this. Again, I've talked about it. I did a whole episode about British hip hop, but I was a bit of a, a purist from back in you know, 2000, early, very early 2000s. And I think hip-hop has changed a lot and a lot of the, the classics that, that I knew from back then are no longer in the game. And that was kind of, pre, I mean, people that really know grime are probably going to write in and complain now, but I think that was pre-grime or really when grime was was becoming more of a thing, becoming more popular. And then I think that grime kind of took over and seeped its way into other avenues of British hip-hop and I think that the mainstream didn't really recognize that they were very two quite different genres. And they kind of merged and became one. And Stormzy was, is a massive name. Like he, he's, he's done so, yeah, he's just made such a big name for himself with only you know, two studio records in the last X number of years. And um, he's become a, a, a Goliath uh, on the scene. But I, I just fell out of love with, with uh, the British, British urban scene a little bit. But um, it was cool listening to him on this podcast and talking about his new record. And it, so I, I listened to it. The album's called This Is What I Mean. came out end of November. And it's super interesting. Really, really interesting. Now, I, I will admit, I've, I've heard Stormzy stuff over the last few years. I've just never sat down and listened to him. So I, I know what he sounds like. And I know what you know, his, his chart hits sound like. This is completely different. This record... Uh, this is what I mean. Completely different. It's well. One point to make is it's really not grime. Yeah, Stormzy's flow and some of the drum parts clearly have a 
grime influence. I wouldn't even say clearly, actually, but some of the some of the drum parts in Stormzy's flow do have a grime influence at times, and the, the back half of the record has got a bit more of that vibe. Tunes like uh, "My Presence Are Black," uh, but even that, it's not it's not really it's not that street. But it's just really gorgeous beats, loads of piano, choral parts, dreamy backing vocals, um, and loads of clean instrumentation. The, the vocals are, for the most part, really, uh, really delicate and often sparing. It's just not what I expected. It's it's a really intimate record. Uh, it's sophisticated and intimate, and I, I I can't recommend it enough to go and have a listen. Even if you take a listen and you think, "Well, I'm not going to listen to that again." It's it's one of those records. It's a, just an experience. I think uh, you should definitely definitely sit down and uh, and listen to it. And it, it makes me wonder when does an artist shed that initial genre label? Because I think a lot of people see Stormzy as you know he's a he's a rapper, he's a rapper, he's a rapper. But he's he's grime influenced rapper slash MC whatever. And this album is none of those things. It's super mellow for the most part. It's it's really personal uh, about past and current relationships. Lots of real private moments and details and his voice through most of it is quite quiet and tired and there's a lot of emotion in his voice and he doesn't rap a great deal on the album I mean he does but he also sings this is some beautiful singing not just from him but from from others yeah give it a go give it a go um and I'm excited to see what else he comes up with because this is not you know he's he's shot into the limelight but actually if you look at his discography, this isn't a long way into his career. He's got a long way to go still. So if he's if he's trying this avenue now, we could get some really exciting stuff from him in, in the years to come. Um, yeah, I'm very excited by that. Try out um, This Is What I Mean by Stormzy. Okay. Taylor Swift. Ever heard of her? She was born in 1989 in West Reading, Pennsylvania. It's fitting that this episode comes now, actually, because Taylor's early years were spent on her family's Christmas tree farm in Wyoming, which I'm sure I butchered, but there we go. She started singing publicly at a very early age, and she learned guitar from age 12. She started writing country music and would visit Nashville from an early age and try and secure some interest there. Her family saw her desire and dedication and decided to support her by moving to Tennessee when she was 14 years old. At 16, she signed to Big Machine Records and soon after released her debut album, which hit number five in the Billboard 200. The debut single then became a top 10 hit on the country music charts and soon Taylor was breaking records and carving out a name for herself in the wider music world. Her follow-up album won countless awards and was nominated for a Grammy, which set the stage for where her career would be heading. Taylor's third LP, Speak Now, was her first number one on the Billboard 200, and this trend continued for most of her remaining seven studio albums. In 2019, Taylor became involved in a very public dispute with Big Machine Records over the ownership of her master recordings, this culminated in her beginning the process of re-recording all her Big Machine releases to obtain ownership of them. To date, she has re-recorded and released two of her most successful records and more are to come. In 2022, Taylor released her 10th studio album, Midnights. This shot straight to number one, of course, in the US and at least 26 other countries. 
So what do I know about Taylor Swift? Well, I first noticed her in about 2008-ish when Love Story was out and all over pop music video channels that were kind of shown in pubs and places that I frequented. I, at that time, so 2008, I was very into Buck Cherry, Aerosmith, Led Zeppelin. I did a lot of laughing at Taylor Swift, if I'm honest, and Love Story, which was really the only song I knew by her, was such a teen pop, uh, I don't know, an not anthems, not even the right word, but it was just kind of very symbolic of, for me, it was just like, when I thought of teeny pop, I thought of Love Story by Taylor Swift. Yeah, uh, it was so clean and innocent, and it just made me a bit sick. And I continued to hear her name for the following years, but I couldn't have named another song by her until, I guess, until 1989 came out in 2014. Because the singles from that record, um, they really hit a different chord, I guess. Um, I didn't like it at the time. It wasn't my thing, but I, I knew then that she was a big name. Like she wasn't, yeah, you know, she wasn't just a girl singing love story. She was, yeah, she was really going somewhere. I mean, she'd gone somewhere. Yeah, she wasn't going. And then I, um, oh, so just just for those that uh, that don't know. So 1989, that album had, what did it have on it? It had uh, Bad Blood, um, Shake It Off. And, you know, Bad Bad Blood, I should say, I think now that, now it, I think it's a really masterfully written tune. And yeah, I, I really like that song. Shake It Off, I don't like it, but I, I still appreciate that it is. That is a, that is an anthem. I will use the word anthem. <laughs> you know, no one in the Western world missed Shake It Off. Everyone knows that tune. It's, it's massive. But yeah, I, I only really discovered her properly earlier this year when someone recommended Folklore and Evermore as a gateway to, to Taylor Swift. And I thought, yeah, okay, I'll give it a try. Listen to them, loved them, amazing records, both of them. So unexpected. Um, I would strongly recommend those two to people who don't understand or know Taylor Swift's music. It's just not, so, so I think my generation, you know, I'm mid, mid to late 30s, and I think for my generation, there's probably a lot of guys my age that still pigeonhole her in those those love story years as just a teen idol. But actually, listen to these two records, Folklore and Evermore. They're so sophisticated and they're just not what you expect from her. They're super mature, very um, folky, very ethereal, dreamy, beautiful lyrics, beautiful production very fluid production throughout the throughout the whole record. Yeah, uh, I love them. So then when Midnight's came out this year, I was very excited to hear it. Now I will say that Midnight's is not really my record, not really my kind of thing. And I haven't, lis I listened to it three or four times when it came out. I haven't put it back on since. That's not to criticize that record at all though. Uh, I, th I think it's a great record. It's just not my thing. Um, it's, uh, it, it's nothing like the, the previous two. It is much more current, pop sounds of today. Uh, but yeah, so, so in, in short, there's a lot of rambling going on there, but in short, I, I really only discovered Taylor Swift this year. Um, and I feel silly for kind of for casting her off for a decade, really, because that's kind of uh, immature and naive of me, actually. I should have given it a shot. But, but I do think that since, I don't know, the last three, four, five years, I've reached an age in my life where I care less about the image of an artist and I really do. I just, I'm just there for the music. And I think in my 20s, 
maybe everyone's the same, but in my teens, my 20s, you know, perhaps even into my early 30s, I did really care about the image a lot more. <laughs> yeah, it's so childish. But anyway, there we go. That's, that's my history with Taylor Swift. I caught up with, with Marshall, um, Taylor Swift super fan, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was before Christmas, um, to find out you know, when he first discovered Taylor and, and what she means to him and, and how that fandom has, has played out in his life. And it was an awesome conversation. You're really going to like it. You're really going to like Marshall. Uh, and I'll catch up with you after this. I'll never forget it. It was back in um, 2009 when I was just nine years old. Um, in the morning when like my parents were getting ready for work and my brother and I were getting ready for school, we'd have like the MTV music video channel playing. Cause like there was like one that were like eighties or like older and like there were ones that were more modern, you know? Yeah. And so I always wanted to listen to the modern. My parents were very advocate of listening to the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> As and so families all around the world that is yeah exactly and so that morning we were listening to the modern radio and so i was just sitting there waiting for the school bus and so taylor swift's you belong with me music video came on it was my first time at least from my knowledge first time seeing here or hearing or maybe i heard a song on the radio in the past you know mm -hmm. but this is my first time and like it was like the coolest music video and just like there's just something about it like the songwriting was catchy the music video was like very good storytelling and so i was like wow like i love this girl from the first music video so i went to school and i was went to all my friends i'm like guys like there's this girl named taylor swift i just heard her music and they're like yeah we know about taylor swift we already have like a couple of her cds i was like what it's like <laughs> and so i was <laughs> i was pretty late to the game and so then for that Christmas, my parents got me her sophomore album, Fearless. Uh, and I, and yeah, ever since then, I've like been such a huge fan. I feel like I can relate to her, even though I am about 10 years younger than her. Mm -hmm. It's like, I can still relate to her music. And even with her past music, it's like some of the songs I may not have been able to relate to when I was younger, you know what I mean? Yeah. But like with her albums and her um, music, I'm, it's, it feels like she's like provided me like a guidebook you know what i mean yeah that's interesting it's crazy to think that there was ever a time when you could say to people hey have you heard of this taylor swift girl <laughs> yeah no it's super crazy yeah at, at that time when you first discovered her that i you know her sound was legitimately much more sort of pop country would you say that around that time you were listening to that that style of music anyway or um i would say is yeah i would i was mostly just listening to pop music when I was about, yeah, when I was that age, whatever was mostly on the radio. And so, yeah, and then, like, that's when I think she's the one who, like, definitely defined my um, genres of music because she, she's the first artist I really loved and liked. And so, yeah, my two favorite genres to this day are still country and pop. So I think she had a lot of influence on that. Interesting. And then, of course, our sound has changed over the last 10 records as well quite a bit. Are there... Um... You know, are, are there periods of her career where, you know, you're less excited by her, by her sound and periods that are your favorite? Or, you know, do you love all 10 albums equally? <laughs> oh, I love all 10 albums equally. Like, I can't, like, as soon as someone hears I'm a Taylor Swift fan, the first question is like, oh, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite album? Yeah. And I cannot decide. Like, I think each album has 
it has something where it's good. Like, it's hard to compare because they're all so different. And even one time I tried to make a 20 list of my top 20 favorite Taylor Swift songs. And I was like, well, I can't forget this one. I can't forget this one. And pretty soon I was just writing all of her music down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I just like can't do this. Or like, I forget who created it, but there's this website you go to and it'll help you. Like you choose between two Taylor Swift songs and then it's like a couple hour long task. And then it will calculate how many, like what's your actual favorite song from like what you picked over others. I tried to do that, but it, it, I kept saying no both because there's options prefer this one over another or dislike them both or like them both. I kept saying like both. And it's like, we can't give you results. (laughs) That's wild. There's so many strange things out there for, for, for Taylor Swift fans that, you know, following her on Twitter and, and seeing stuff in my timeline on Twitter from, from Taylor Swift fans. There's so many bizarre websites out there like that. Like fill out this questionnaire and find out what your ultimate Taylor Swift song is or stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. hundred percent. Uh, have you managed to see her live? Yes, I got to see her um, twice live so far, both on a Reputation Stadium tour back in 2018. I was very, very lucky, and I did get tickets to the Eras tour for next summer. And so I'm super excited for that. I first seen her um, in Seattle, Washington on May 22nd. Uh, I was in the pit for my very first Taylor Swift concert. It was so exciting. And then before... Um, couple months before the concert i had a pretty massive surgery i won't get into it but like i had a pretty serious chest surgery so um before the concert i was like well i should probably like ask the surgeon the doctor if like he thinks it's appropriate i was still gonna go but mm-hmm. i should get like a medical person's opinion and so i asked him, i was like hey i'm gonna go see this concert i'm very excited about it. i'm gonna be in the pit and he started getting i could see he started getting nervous and worried and so because i'm assuming he obviously doesn't want to tell me no but he also wants to like care for my safety you know (laughs) and he's like what artist is it and i'm like oh taylor swift and he laughed he's like you'll be fine and a taylor (laughs) swift pit ticket (laughs) i think for my generation that there's been a big evolution in in her image i think that when she first started yeah late late 2000s i did see her as I don't want to offend you, Marshall, but I did see her back then as a little bit of a cliche and very poppy, and it wasn't anything I was ever going to look at. But I think in you know since, well, certainly since sort of folklore and Evermore years, I realised, oh, hang on, there's, there's there's really good stuff here. And then I've had to go back and and, and listen to other pieces pieces by her and other records by her and realise that actually I missed out on a lot by kind of pigeonholing her as you know she's a teen she's just a teen idol. And I think that I think a lot of people of my age or a bit older kind of had had that opinion and it's only now that she's she's opening up now to a whole new market of of, of fans that um were potentially missed uh, at one point absolutely yeah and um and i'm so appreciative to the people like who are like i'm getting into her music now i'm super happy about it. I'm like yes i'm so willing to like talk to people about it and i i get excited when new people new fans join and yeah i think people have definitely like started realizing like her songwriting skill because yeah. I think, like you said, like it was perceived that she just wrote these basic pop songs, and like, and you know what I mean? They weren't as um, lyrically as people actually thought they were. Like, they are very like lyrically depth. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, she does have like her generic pop songs, like "Shake It Off," "Me," but like she also has other incredible storytelling songs, like "All Too Well," um, on the newest record, "You're on Your Own, Kid." But then she also has like the fun folklore and evermore ones where they're more storied, like they're not based in her life at all. Yeah. They're all like made of fiction. And then like I think that's 
she does she ha she puts her songs into three categories fountain pen which is like an all too all too well um song which is more like more like a journal entry or like a letter to someone you know and then she puts another category is glitter gel pen which is like the shake it off it's like you don't take it seriously it's just there for fun and then there's the quill pen songs that are more um not that doesn't seem to be set in today's world maybe something more storytelling where it's not like about her life you know sure. yeah i hadn't heard that before to be honest until you uh, you put it in your email to us i, I didn't <laughs> know that she'd use that um that analogy there but it makes a lot of sense i like it yeah with regards to, to merchandise you did say that um most of your clothing is taylor swift merch yes it is yeah i um i actually counted it for this um because i've always like wanted to keep track and so for this i decided to like count up all the merchandise i have and awesome. like it took me a couple hours and <laughs> i'll go through it pretty quickly but for t-shirts alone i have 81 t-shirts 21 long sleeves 18 hoodies 28 pullovers five jackets, a couple pairs of sweatpants, a pair of pajamas, a cardigan, some scarves that in like, yeah, in miscellaneous stuff, like I have socks, beanies, blankets. Uh, yeah, I have like, I have a lot of her stuff. Most of my wardrobe is Taylor Swift. <laughs> Marshall, that is wild. 80 something t-shirts. You could, oh my God, <laughs> you could go off. Yeah. You could go a couple of months without having to do a laundry run. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I felt like, um, and I always make a joke, like, even if for some reason Taylor Swift, like, for some reason lost all of her fans except me with how much, like, I buy and, like, stream her music, her lifestyle would not change at all. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, um, uh, oh, I don't even mind bothering to ask, to be honest. I was going to say on your Spotify Unwrapped this year, did you uh, did you get Taylor Swift number one? Yes, yeah. Well, I actually use Apple Music. They do something similar. And my choice for Apple Music is because they pay their artists slightly more than Spotify. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's not like a lot. But yeah, she was my top artist. Total minutes listened to Taylor Swift is 28,604. It's a strong effort. Yes. And then my most listened to song is All Too Well 10-Minute Version for 83 times and then my most listened to album was midnights with a 919 plays wow that's a lot of plays for midnights it didn't come yeah not till it didn't come out until late in the year did it yeah it was yesterday was the two-month anniversary wow so i'm not sure exactly how apple counts the plays you know what i mean if it's like each time i pause you know what i mean because it yeah. does seem like a high number but apple did say 919 <laughs> Now you've got you've got eighty t-shirts. It doesn't seem like a high number to me, right? <laughs> Do you have any Taylor Swift tattoos? Not yet. I have a lot planned out. I just, I have. I'm pretty good at budgeting, so I budget for my fun stuff, and always it always goes to like Taylor Swift before it gets to like, uh, like Taylor Swift merchandise, like this um, yeah. shirts and stuff. So I'm waiting to save up to get some tattoos. I do kind of have a related one both of our lucky numbers is the number 13 and so and i and i promise i didn't just like copy her it's like i was we were both born on the 13th yeah we both had a lot of luck with 13 and so i did get it i do on my right shoulder i have a tattoo of a 13 so basically the three makes a locket where it's kind of shaped like a heart inside of it and then the one is a key because like you know what i mean she's like the key to my heart awesome <laughs> i love it uh, do you, are you a member of a fan club or do you have are, are your friends around you big taylor swift fans um i have some friends on twitter i, I do have a stan account on twitter 
but uh, yeah, my friends, I would say they, they let me talk about her. They'll listen to her and stuff, but I don't have like any like in, like in-person friends who are as hardcore as I am. <laughs> yeah, I do always find that, you know, if there's, if there's a fan club or you have friends that are as big a fans as you, it's, it, it kind of feeds the feeds the fandom a little bit but um you know if you're if you're all alone and you're still managing to maintain it then that's 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 true love <laughs> <laughs> right yeah because like yeah i'll talk anyone their ear off about taylor swift like that's why i'm so appreciative of this opportunity where like i just get to like no one like has to tolerate if you're asking me to talk about her <laughs> totally yeah so so if if you meet someone who doesn't know her music that well What's your go-to recommendation? What's the album that you feel is the easiest gateway to, to Taylor's music? I feel like right now, uh, my answer might have been different a couple months ago, but I think Midnight's would be a strong contender because it is it is pop, and I know that's that that's mostly what people would like. Is I would say Folklore and Evermore, but since they're more like alternative pop, I'm not sure if they it's as easy as to get into. But like I would recommend Folklore Evermore if I want to get them to listen to the lyrics. But I think Midnight's would be a good one. I guess it depends on their music taste. I would first ask them that. Like if they're more of a country fan, I would say Fearless or Speak Now. But yeah, if they're more pop, yeah, I would say like Midnight. But even I can't even now. I'm like no, I want to choose them all to recommend. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good answer though now midnight midnight's is very current isn't it like it's definitely got you know folk, folklore and evermore uh, fantastic records but i think they were more on the fringe um whereas midnight's is absolutely the music of now i, I think so i think it's a very safe recommendation but all three, all yeah. three very good records yes i agree <laughs> well you you definitely agree that coming from yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so you have tickets coming up next year for, did you say you have tickets for, for a, a tour next year? Yes, I'm very grateful. It was definitely, Ticketmaster definitely did not handle it well. But yes, I did get tickets to her Eras tour and I'm very excited. I don't know anything about this. So was this a news story? Did they, would, did they sell out super quick or something? Yeah, so, uh, so basically, yeah, there was a very, very high demand for when the pre-sale was going on sale for Taylor Swift. Um, it was the most like numbers they've ever seen before. And so they, uh, I guess they didn't, I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of different like kind of contradictory stuff, statements that have come out from like um, Ticketmaster, but yeah, they just were not expecting the overwhelming demand of the tickets, which I'm sorry, but like it's Taylor Swift. Like, what do you, what do you expect? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And so they, uh, the pre-sales, it didn't very, it didn't go very well for almost any Taylor Swift fan. I feel like, if you talk to any Taylor Swift fan, they would probably have a negative thing to say about how the sales went. People were getting like kicked out, like even to get into the queue, you were, cause you, you get sent a code for the pre-sale and they randomly, you have to sign up for the pre-sale and you might get a code. Okay. And so I was, yeah. And so I was very lucky I got a code. And then to enter the wait room, you didn't have to enter your code yet. So a bunch of people could just be waiting in there without a code which like kind of backed up the system you know you didn't have to enter the code to like the time of purchase or when you select the tickets and so i go in there i'm like super excited i'm super nervous i go i'm trying to select tickets each one is like selling out super fast each time i select one sold out i finally get like these floor seats they were pretty good floor seats i go to check out and like they hold your tickets for like five minutes for you to enter your like your card information stuff like that yeah so I do that, and so my credit card saw that fraud, so it declined it, and it got kicked out. Oh, no. 
I know. And I like, I did, like, I didn't handle it the best. Like, my anger did get the better of me for a minute. And then I was able to get tickets. But, the, like, my seats are not great by any means. I'm kind of, like, more on, like, behind the stadium side of where mm-hmm. she'll be before me. But I was able to get tickets, so I can't complain too much. I was super grateful. But yeah, and then to get more into like why Ticketmaster like messed up is like they kept like, well, I don't want to say stuff and like have it be inaccurate. So if any of it's inaccurate, I apologize. <laughs> but um, yeah, they kept for a while because like East Coast went on sale first for the East Coast shows because it all went on 9 a.m. local or I forget the time, but whatever time, local time. So east coast was first and i guess some of them got like put on hold because they crashed the Ticketmaster website something like that and, and the then fact like, that you have to know the time that the tickets go on sale is is enough really like you know most right. artists you only have to know what day it goes on sale and if you're a day late it's not a problem but yeah. yeah absolutely yeah and then yeah a lot of people weren't happy i wasn't too thrilled with how it happened then they completely canceled the general sale there was no general sale for the tickets taylor even came out with a statement on her instagram story saying guys Ticketmaster told me they could handle the demand obviously they couldn't we're working on getting you guys tickets i'm so sorry that some of you didn't get tickets and the ones who did felt they got got attacked by a bear and she said she's gonna <laughs> and, and that that was a quote from her she did use the being attacked by a bear and so um and so she was like she's working on getting everyone tickets and so what's been happening now is yeah they canceled the pre-sale but a lot of people who didn't get tickets but did get the pre-sale are beginning emails like hey we have some tickets available select your price range and we'll get you tickets so she's made and i'm pretty sure it's her and her it's team her doing team. it yeah yeah it's like she's making sure they're getting kids to the hands of actual fans because a lot another controversy around Ticketmaster is they kind of let scalpers get pre-sale codes i'm not sure if it's like a fax or like don't sue me Ticketmaster, please <laughs> um supposedly they let like scalper make sure scalpers get the pre-sale codes because it doesn't matter to them you know what i mean Ticketmaster is getting the money that they need sure and so then like yeah if you look right now for like the sell reselling of the tickets on like the stuff it's insanely high but mm once again what the swifties have been doing is they've been making their own like instagram or twitter groups where it's people selling their tickets for, for some reason they can't ever attend for face value like the swifties are taking it in their hands to make sure yeah. if they're going to sell it they're selling it at face value Put so the they don't like business yeah. yeah that's cool so for this year for national records today which was april 23rd taylor was the official um ambassador for records today so she had a exclusive vinyl it was just a single of her song the likes which is the final track on her um deluxe edition of folklore Uh, it had the first side was just the normal recording of it and then the second side was the um demo recording of it i i shouldn't say demo was like an alternative version it was more it had more um instrumental like orchestra kind instrumental music to it okay and so, uh, and so I was like, I was dead set on getting it. I think I forget the number of copies, but for Record Store Days exclusive, there's never a lot of copies made. Like you wouldn't be able to like go down to a record store and find it. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So I was, I was dead set on getting it. I would be, if I didn't get it, I would just be so disappointed. You know what I mean? Because I collected all of her records on vinyl so far. And so what I did is I called and talked to a bunch of local record stores to be like, hey, are you getting it? 
And so they were like, yes, some were saying no. One I heard yes. And I was like, okay, um, how early or late can I start like signing up? And like, I called two weeks in advance and then I came in person to this record store once they told me yes, in person to be like, hey, you know what I mean? Get more of the details. And then they're like, yeah, you can start waiting outside whenever. And then I was so nervous the 22nd, the day before. I was like, well, I just really, really want to make sure that they have it. But I didn't want to be obnoxious and like call again or show up again. So I actually had one of my coworkers call. I put it on speaker and I wrote her a script. I was like, just ask these questions. <laughs> and so I was like, and she was like, yeah. And then I heard like they confirmed it. So then, and I was debating all day. I was like, what time do I show up? Cause like, I don't want to like show up too late. Cause they were, they were, that record store only had two copies. Oh, wow. So if I was third in line, the third person to get there, I was out of luck. So I was like, I was like, I need to figure it out. So then I was like, and so I was getting, I was off of work. I ate dinner and I was just like chilling at home. I was like, you know what? I should just go now. I'm literally doing nothing tonight. I'm a pretty boring person. And so I, it was Saturday the next day. So I didn't have work. So like, I'm just going to go now. So I went, I, um, I was, I was parked directly in front of the doors. At, I was there at 10 PM. And so I didn't have to wait outside the entire time, but I was able to sit in my car for a little bit. But then around 1 AM, I was like kind of getting nervous. Like, okay, now I'll get out of the car. So I got out of the car and I waited, waited outside. And then about two, two thirty is when another couple showed up and I knew they were for the same record because she also had a Taylor Swift sweater on. Mm. And so, but I was first in line. You saw the competition. Then, yeah, I saw the competition. They were super friendly. We talked and stuff, and we were, we were, we were pretty. We were, we were able to um, get along. I felt like because we knew we both knew there were two copies, so we were the first two, you know. Awesome. So we're like, okay, we're both gonna get copies. So we were super excited. So then, 10 a.m. went in, and I'm really grateful for how they did it. It's like they lined us up. Like I went to the counter and said which records I wanted. Because it wasn't like it wasn't like kind of like a Black Friday situation when once the doors open you just run and try to grab what you want. Yeah. Because I seen some record stores on um, afterwards on like TikTok and stuff who did that, and I felt so bad. Could you imagine like waiting all those hours just to, for someone to be faster than you? Oh, absolutely. And like, yeah. So I was grateful. Yeah, I was like, they didn't even. I didn't even have to say anything because they seen me a couple of times. Like right when I walked up, they handed me the record, and like I paid for it right then and there. Amazing. So by the time you, so you were there twelve hours basically. By the time you they opened the shop, how many people were there queuing? There didn't like get to be too big of a line behind me. I think there was only like like thirty, I would say, people behind me. So it wasn't like too too bad. But you would have missed out if if you'd have turned up in the yeah. morning. You wouldn't have got it. Yeah, if I showed up like anywhere before like two thirty, I wouldn't have, or two whenever the um other couple showed up. Yeah, I wouldn't have or. Because I don't know if they would have gone both of them, you know, because there was two of them. So, oh. but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it your prized possession now? Yeah, it's definitely my prized possession. I definitely would think, I think it's my rarest out of all the vinyls I have. And so, yeah, I was, I'm super happy. And I still go to that record store. If you're ever in the Portland area, it's called Exile Records. There's two locations, I think one in Southeast Portland. And one in more Beaverton area. So I definitely, they're super nice. I would check them out. If any people listening are ever in Portland area, Exile Records. What What are the odds that you'll ever get to meet Taylor? Does she do, does she do much meet and greet or does she, do, do people meet her? 
So they do. So that, that's another thing I love about her is you cannot buy a meet and greet to meet Taylor. She doesn't like to put a price on herself to meet her. What she does is for her concerts, and this was, I'm not sure if it's going to change now because we're in like a post-COVID world, you know? Yeah. But pre-COVID, she would have her mom, um, her mom, Angie, and her team. Um, her team's called Taylor Nation. Um, they would go around at the concerts and select people. They'd be like, oh my gosh, I love your energy. After the show, stay like stay in this section. They'll give you a ticket. You're going to get to meet Taylor. Oh, so when you're awesome. at a Taylor Swift concert, yeah, it's so awesome. There's very people like are very like very outgoing trying to get noticed. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's super exciting. I haven't gotten yet. And what she also would do, and she hasn't done it for her last three albums, given her last three albums were also after COVID, yeah. Folklore Evermore and Midnights, but in her re-recordings too. But what she would used to do, she did for Reputation, 1989 and Lover, is she would invite fans to her home. She would stalk fans on like Instagram and Twitter and like Tumblr and would be like, oh, I want them. And so she would like tell her team, here's their um, Instagram, Twitter handle, message them and tell them I want them to come to my house wow. so they can listen to the record ahead of time. And obviously they'd have to sign like NDAs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, she used to invite people to her home. I'm not sure if she'll ever do that again, but I am hoping she still continues to do the meet and greets at her concerts uh, to like try to get noticed. But at the same time, if she doesn't now, I do understand like she has to protect herself, um, her team, like you know what I mean, all of her dancers, all of her background singers, all the band, her family. So I get it if she doesn't do it anymore. But I know I'm going to meet her one day. I don't know how, but I know it will happen. That's awesome. I like that positivity. <laughs> Just quickly to, to end on, Marshall, I always ask this question, but I think for Taylor Swift, it's probably irrelevant. But let's say, for example, someone listening has not really heard Taylor's music. How would you sum it up and, and get someone interested? Give it give it an elevator pitch, Taylor Swift's music. I would first start off by saying like she is an incredible songwriter. She definitely knows how to tell a story she can make she can make a song sound so personal to her life like very specific to her life or whatever she's going through but at the same time write it where everyone's able to relate to it she's a very relatable artist she's great at storytelling what else she's great with her <laughs> um she's great with her fans yeah well i really appreciate you taking taking the time out of your day thank you very much Marshall. awesome yeah And there you have it. Thank you, Marshall. Another super fan down. If you are a super fan of any artist at all and you would like to be featured on an episode of Superfancast, you can. You just have to contact us. You can go to superfannews.net and fill out the contact form there or you can email us at superfancast at outlook.com. Superfannews.net is our music review platform. If you're thinking of starting a blog, don't bother. Just go to Superfan News and start submitting your articles there. We'll publish them and promote them across social media for you. Speaking of social media, you can reach us on Twitter and Facebook by searching for Superfancast. And I hope you do search for us and, um, and leave us some feedback on whatever podcast player you choose to use. 
leave us some feedback on on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, connect with us and tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. We love to hear from you. And hopefully Matt will be back with us in a few weeks' time. He's still off sailing the Mediterranean. But of course, we miss his tales. So hurry up, Matt. Until next time, what more is there to say? Thank you very much for, for joining me. And stay safe. Keep rocking. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye.